next-generation journalists taking you beyond what you see on TV. Are we back on? We're back on. We are on. Everyone, welcome to Beyond, beyond TV. TV. That's our intro. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk <laughs> well, about that. Yeah, we'll tell you all about that. <laughs> well, that I'm was Jovina. like Wayne's World. <laughs> Wayne's World. <laughs> that was really good, Jovina. <laughs> well, I'm Jovina um, from Wave 3 News, multimedia journalist here, joining you once again with my lovely co-host. I'm Casey Cunningham. I'm also reporter, multimedia journalist here at Wave 3 News, the NBC affiliate in Louisville, Kentucky. And we have, oh my gosh, when we started this podcast, we were like, do you know who'd be the perfect guest? So we're really putting a lot of pressure on you. I know, because the person that we have sitting with us at the conference room table right now at 8.45 in the morning, because he gets up at the crack of dawn, actually before dawn, way, way before dawn, and stays here until the sun comes up, please welcome morning anchor and investigative reporter for Way 3 News, John John Bowl. Thank you very much. Thanks for I'm going to be a colossal disappointment, I think, based on that build No, you're not. We were so excited, though, to get you on, because you're a great storyteller. You're a multi-Emmy award winner, award winner journalist, and you have a million stories to tell from out in the field, from your personal life, um, and we're excited to share those with the viewers. All right, let's do it. Yeah, we're taking things You can hit me with anything, any question. Well, that brings us to our first segment of Fast Facts. Yes. Hit him with it, Casey. Okay, first question in Fast Facts. Okay. What is your death row meal? Like, if you had to eat something before you die, your last meal, what would it be? Impelizari pizza, extra sauce, mushroom pepperoni sausage. Oh. Large. Large. Don't have to worry about calories. I don't think I've done impelizaries before. Uh, I haven't either. Really? Oh. Now, the problem is two pieces make you so full you can't eat anymore, but if it's your last meal... Just take me forever to eat it, and I'll just buy some more time. <laughs> Go all out. Or you can escape the electrical chair. Yeah. There's a slideshow on our website that has all the inmates' like last death row meals, and I find it so fascinating. We were checking that out one day too. It was bizarre. Some like do almost nothing. Some are calorie conscious. Yes. Like diet cokes. It's like, and then really? some just order the house. At yeah. That point, why would you splurge for the full yeah. coke? It's fascinating <laughs> to look at those. I love it. I don't know why you yeah. hold back. Okay. First okay. love. Ann Kincaid, ninth grade, Beloit Memorial High School. Uh, eight months it lasted till she broke up with me oh. as well. She should have. Oh Man. no! How did it end? Yeah, she wanted to move on to. Uh, you got to remember, like I was like, I was like bad boogie nights porn mustache zits. <laughs> no way! Like we're talking. Okay, ninth grade would be like seventy six. Right? Okay, like disco era. I don't know what, why in the world I had any girlfriend at all. And disco she was era. hot. Really? And she was awesome. What'd yeah. she look like now? Yeah, are you still in touch looks with the Looks the same. Uh, at the class reunions, I see her once in a while on social media. She looks fantastic. Looks the same. All right, what's up, Ann? Hey. Hey, Ann. I hope she <laughs> listens. I know. Who's your celebrity crush? Um, that would be uh, Charlize Theron, just because she looks so good. Oh, Based yeah. on nothing else, acting <laughs> fine. Charlize Theron. Yeah, she looks great. Yeah. Okay, okay, and our last question. Is there a character flaw or something about yourself that you'd like to change? Oh, my god! We, like, took it really deep. Like, ev- like, when I went to rehab, that's character flaws are, like, half of what you work on. Mm. Yes. Um, I learned that I am selfish, egotistical, 
Um, what? Yeah. Wow. Don't, he took it all the way I don't, there. <laughs> I don't care about other people enough. Um, okay, I do not see that Narcissistic. At all. Yes. Eh, no, I'm just kidding. No, that's a big, and that's a big part of recovery that pretty much everybody in rehab was that way, and I think everybody wrestles with that kind of stuff. But wow. Yes, those are all things I work on every day to try to be more humble and... And to just get rid of that because every day, especially in this business, this is, yeah. this is oh, all yeah. a Ron Burgundy ego. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. Interesting. Well, we'll have to get to that a little bit more or get a little more into that okay. in a bit. But we want to talk about first how you got into this business. How did you get to where you are today? You know, starting from um, the womb. <laughs> did you always want to be a reporter? No. I, all I was good at was writing. I, I mean, I got good grades. Graduated summa cum laude, whatever. Um, got straight A's all the time, but it was easy. And uh, I, only thing I was good at was writing. So, like in high school, when they start to do like um, career development and start to get you thinking about what you want to do, um, I, I, a reporter, a TV reporter named Jerry Huffman, did come to our class from the nearby affiliate in Rockford, Illinois. I'm from Beloit, Wisconsin, right on the border with Illinois, and. Uh, it was interesting. He talked about all the famous people he met, but I'm really not one of these people that like wants to meet famous people. I still don't even want to do like Millionaire's Road kind of stuff. But anyway, so I said, okay, uh, I'm either going to be an English teacher or going to journalism because those are about the only two ways to go if you like writing, I thought at the time. Didn't see myself as an English teacher, so I uh, there were three accredited schools for journalism in Wisconsin. I picked the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire because it was up in the Northwoods and provided lots of fishing, which I love to do. So Yes, you're always posting photos of yeah, your fishing. So I literally got through school like like going down to the river and catching a couple of smallmouth bass or trout and filleting them up and eating them in the deep in the fry daddy with some taters. That's oh, all I got wow. I like I was like Daniel Boone living off the land. So um so I got into journalism and I just went up the normal, you know, the normal routine back in eighty. That would be nineteen eighty to eighty four I went to college. I went I did uh, newspapers first, then radio. I was the radio station news director, and then uh, TV. Wow! And I, didn't know I, that. I just love TV, and I even wrote up a special uh, uh, class that you can write up with the dean's approval. I did an outdoor show, and with another guy, and loved that. And just I knew I loved TV, so then then the rest is, is history for me. I knew this is what I wanted to do. I love storytelling, and then got into anchoring and stuff, which I also love doing. Nice. Well, I think I like that you started out with writing because I think a lot of people sometimes don't understand that writing is really the fundamental of yes. this job. Um, and it's not just about your face on screen. That's just a minor fraction yeah, of what you do. One, one of the stories I always tell that to show you how bad this business is spinning awry is um, I was uh, there was an intern candidate one time. Uh, <laughs> we have spies at looking Lauren into the Jones conference and room. Out there making fun of me, which is they're fun. throwing up the That's loser good. signs at John right now. Um, <laughs> the uh, the there was an intern candidate uh, that was uh, up front, and the assistant news director asked me to go up and um, escort her back. And I'm walking with her, and I striking up conversation. I said, "What do you want to be?" And she said, "I want to be a news anchor." Oh. I said, "Okay, good." I said, "Are you taking lots of uh, are you taking lots of writing and communication classes?" And she said, "No, but I have taken lots of acting and modeling." Oh my gosh! I want to grow up everywhere right now. Totally proud of that, and she really, truly thought that that was the way. Doesn't it make you so mad? That hurts. That cuts deep. But you know, um, (laughs) and my my. my daughter brought home the uh, Miss America or Miss USA pageant program one time, and they had little bios on the on the fifty women. 
And I remember I did like a count. 17 of them wanted to be not like a senator or a doctor or a surgeon or something like that or a teacher. 17 of them wanted to be not just anchor, network news anchor, they wrote. And then I was checking out their education and how much communication or journalism or writing did, do you think they had? It's probably like none. 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 Oh, no. Like yeah. none. It's fascinating. It really is. Yeah. yeah. People don't understand what our business is all about yeah. at all. But you are like the master of telling a story. And you have how many? What's the Emmy count up to right now? Um, I have 84 Emmys. Wow. And people always ask me if that's the most in America. And it is not. Boyd Hoopert, Care <laughs> TV. Oh, he's amazing. Just got 11 bringing his total to 103. So wow. I'm, you're close, though. I'm getting left in the dust. He's, no, you're close. And then there's a guy catching me. Uh, Brendan Keefe in Atlanta has 75. He's going to pass me. Do you oh, feel competitive, like you keep going back or keep entering them because you want to get to the, the uh, most? No, I, I do feel competitive all the time. Like every year rolls around for Emmys, I'm like, man, I got enough. I don't have anywhere to put them. But I... I we'll do, take a few. I do want to be. I do <laughs> so. want to be recognized for work that uh, that is good, mm-hmm. and I think it's important. Um, it's an important measurement bar. I I always say there are there are two types of people in this world, in this newsroom, in this world, from the GM all the way down to the janitor. There are two types of people. I can put everybody in one of two groups: people who think they're better than they really are, and people who are always trying to get better. Mm-hmm. Think Preach. about it. Right now in this so newsroom, true. you can put you can we can put people in. We're we won't looking do out it. of the glass window. We won't do just it. Judging. We won't do oh, it. But so you know hard. what I'm talking about, <laughs> yeah. right? And and I'm one of the people who's always trying to get better. Mm-hmm. That's why I always judge Emmys every chance I can to see what other people are doing, what works, what doesn't. That's why I get involved in contests. That's why I watch Dateline and everything I can. That's why we all I, I send work to other people mm-hmm. in the business for review and back and forth. Because I'm always trying to get better. Yeah, you and never I, stop very, learning in this business. Right. And, and while we're on that topic, we actually took viewer questions, but I think it fits right now. Someone asked us um, if you could share the very first time you went to the Emmys. This was an anonymous question. Anonymous. Yeah, it's anonymous too. Uh, the they very, said that something <laughs> happened. The very first time I went to the Emmys, it. my wife was pregnant. This would be then uh, 91. She was like a couple of weeks away. This is back when they had the Emmys in May. She was a couple of weeks away from delivering. It was in Dayton, Ohio. And they had just added Louisville as one of the markets in this Ohio Valley region. And um, I was nominated in Best Reporter. And there were three people nominated. And I was like, are you sure I should go? She's like, yeah. Just So I, did, I just got on my outfit, drove up the interstate to Dayton just in time to get there for that category. Category came up. No one won. <gasps> Which is in the Emmys, you can have one winner, no winners, multiple winners, whatever. It's based on a on a scoring system. People don't realize that. So anyway, in that category, nobody won. Ouch! And I had to get back in the car. It was the most anticlimactic thing ever because you know if when you lose in the Emmys, which I've lost a lot, you want to see what beat you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you watch the be- little bit of the beginning of the story. Yeah, so, so, and they play a clip, right. So, anyway, that was my first, and I vowed to never let that happen again. So, after that, you've won every time since you've gone back? At least one. Nice. Wow. Some years won, some years eight or ten, but yes. Guys. Are you going to keep the path going? Are you going to keep entering and trying to be As long as I'm in the business, if my work is good, I enter what I think is good. Watch out, Boyd. Yeah. I know. No way. for you. He is so much better than me. It's not even funny. And Brendan Keefe. Like, usually at the Emmys, when you lose and they play the clip of what beat you, to be really honest, you usually look up and you're like, my stuff's better than that. <laughs> when Brendan Keefe wins or when Boyd Hooper wins up there, it's... 
You're like, oh, okay. that I, my stuff isn't even. I can't carry his jock. It's awesome. Oh, so you God. really are kind of a master storyteller, though. I know you would never say that because you're super humble. But talk about how you just start by telling a story. You go into the, the field. What's some of the first? Do you come up with ideas beforehand? Do you let the story breathe, or do you see what you experience in the field? What are like some real? How do you feel in the moment? Like how you're going to tell the story? The best um, feedback I ever got when I started here. I worked with a guy named Scott Livingston, uh, was the photographer, and he was really, really good and, and getting better fast. And he used to take his work, I was at LKY, he used to bring his work over to Bruce Carter, who was the chief photographer here at Wave back in the day, when Wave was winning NPPA Station of the Year like all the time. Bruce, one of the best storytellers ever. So he'd bring, he'd bring our work, because we worked together on Nightside, over to Bruce and get feedback, and then he'd come back and he would share with me what and the, the thing that stuck with me was Bruce told him, told us, to treat every story like a, like a motion picture, be thinking before and during of three things, your beginning, your middle, and your end, and then everything else will fill in. Hmm. And the other advice he gave was uh, try to do the story, try to get as much good sound as you can and not have to write a lot. Like the ultimate, in his opinion, the ultimate story was like a, a photo essay where there's no reporter track if you can pull off a good photo essay with no writing whatsoever you've really done the ultimate story oh I love that now I don't know that I necessarily anymore now that I'm an old man with some perspective I don't know if I agree with that anymore but anyway that was the best advice I ever got mm -hmm. and I've, every story we do whether it's a city council meeting or a special report think of your beginning middle and end have a real end have a real beginning the beginning is usually easy the end is usually the hardest part because the end has to answer the question what does this mean to me? The bottom line, what's the, what does this mean to me? Yeah, the impact. Right. But now I kind of think, I think it's our responsibility as journalists to, uh, in the writing of the story, to come up with some profound observations. Things like when you're, when you're logging your tape, and one of my best tips to people is when you're, when you're looking at all the stuff you shot, log everything. Even when the camera's off. I've used sound that you accidentally picked up of something in the background on something. You log everything. You'd be surprised at the stuff you end up using. So you, um, you go back and you listen to everything? Everything. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Uh, just the shotgun mic is open on something. Um, a GoPro camera was up uh, rolling on something uh, that you didn't. You'll get something you didn't know you had. It inevitably happens. Um, but now I really feel like it's my job to come up with something profound, some observation, something I learned or felt from the story that maybe we don't have on tape, but that I think is important in terms of when you're maybe teaching a lesson about something uh, that happened or with the story or whatever. So that's what I try to do. Obviously, we can't always do it, but I try to do that. I think you achieve it a majority of the time, for well, sure. Well, that, the problem with that is that that can lead to overwriting. Right. Which is, you, you got to reel that in, too. But that's what I'm trying to do now. I think it's our job to, you know, try to kind of teach a lesson or take you somewhere. I mean, we're experiencing something that the other person's just watching. So mm -hmm. it's our job to really relate to that person, everything about it, how we felt. One of the best things I ever had said to me, uh, one of our consultants, Bill Kakmus, asked us a question one time. He said, he said, tell me this, why do, why do people watch certain movies or TV shows, but certain movies over and over and over again. And 
I couldn't really answer the question because I'm one of these guys who almost never watches a movie over and over again, but there are a few. Right. I'll watch Jaws every time, Shawshank <laughs> every time, right? Gladiator. And he says, why is that? And the answer to that is because it takes you to a place, even though you know what's coming, it takes you to a feeling. Mm. You get a feeling out yeah. of that. And he was trying to tell us we got to try to achieve that in storytelling. Uh, tr- you know, have it. Now, I had a problem with that because as an investigative reporter, then if, if I'm purposely trying to craft my story to right. get you to a certain mm-hmm. feeling, then I have an agenda, and that's not really objective, right? Ooh, that- yeah. So, Preach. Preach. so <laughs> we kind of had a standoff about that, but I get what he's saying, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Uh, so great storytelling gets you to a certain point, and you can watch the story over and over again. And when people ask me, like, uh, people are always asking me back to the Emmy topic, what's an Emmy award-winning story? I always say it's the kind of story that if you're judging Emmys and you're judging 10 or 15 Emmys, it's the kind of story that when you see it, you want to punch it out of the machine, or in this case off the computer, call people over and show it to them mm. and see it again because it takes you somewhere that's special. Wow. And so that's what I think is our duty that we need to try to do. That's awesome. When you talk about you know, making someone have a certain idea. I think it's interesting that now, especially being rather new in the business and going out and meeting younger people and talking about this, the treatment that we receive as journalists and the criticism, I think, is just fascinating and how high. Have you felt that just the the discourse in our country right now and how our profession is looked at, yeah. have you noticed a major change or do you have a shift? Or, yeah, has, has it, it always been, been like this? Worse. Yeah. It's the worst it's ever <laughs> been. Know. It's has the it worst always- it's ever been, but it hasn't always been. Uh, it, it, it's always been bad. Mm-hmm. I saw something 20-some years ago on ranking the least trusted Jobs and we uh, journalists were right down there with like used car salesmen oh, and divorce no. lawyers, and that's horrible this, because this, our this, job this, is based on trust and transparency. That's, yeah. That's, well, now though, it's it's completely spun out of control. Now, um, people people just want to bury their head in their foxhole of whatever you know, whether it's MSNBC on the left or Fox News on the right. They just want to get their news with, from the source that makes them feel the best about their own agenda. Mm. Oh, I mean, that's just the way it is. Um, so no, yeah, now and now with fake news and with crushing the media all the time. Um, but to be really honest, the media has never been more messed up, never made more mistakes, never had more of an agenda. Um, yeah. What would you change about the business right now if you could to maybe kind of fight back against that? I don't know. All you can do is is be ultra ultra fair. Um, that's and. and I think you know running a running a newsroom by by a democracy, getting a bunch of people weighing in on how they feel about something, as opposed to just one or two people, um, helps in the fairness. You missed this. You, did you go enough into this area? Mm-hmm. But I mean, let's be honest. We all have we, there's subjectivity in everything. We're not all purely objective. Um, so I, I I don't know. I we're entering a new era, and it's I'm kind of glad I'm a 55 year old tired man who's not got many decades left. Wow. So sorry for you. It's t- it. I think it's it's tough, but yeah, it's like ninety percent of the time the job is so hard and grueling and emotional, and then you're doing stories sometimes, and you're like, why am I here? And then you're doing other stories, and it's you're doing everything you can, and it's still not up to the expectations of you know what you thought you were going to get when you were out there. And then like this ten percent of the time, it's mm-hmm. so amazing, and someone calls you and says, I saw your story, and you know I decided to go donate or help, or I saw your yes. story, and I decided to go to the doctor, and I found AB, and you're like, oh my gosh, yeah. I changed someone's life, and yeah. 
it, it makes it's it all so, worth it. It makes it all worth it. And then that feeling carries you through the next, you know, carries you on. It's like a drug. It's like so that feeling of making an impact is so addicting. One of the clashes I have is kind of old school. Like, I don't necessarily believe, like a lot of people do, that journalists should be here to fix everything. Mm-hmm. We, they're, like a lot of times when you enter contests or whatever, they want to say, and what results did you get from your work? I don't necessarily believe that. I, I think our job is to expose problems objectively. Definitely. And then let the decision makers, mm-hmm. the people whose job it is to change policy or change things, cha- make changes. Right. I, I shouldn't go into something with an agenda to get something changed. Right. right? That's right. not true objectivity. So I'm not the whole, real big on the results, getting solutions, mm-hmm. journalism kind of guy. I'm into just fair exposure. Uh, enlightening people about things that are going on, showing them what's going on. Um, so, I, I mean, that being said, it, it's tough because um, people have different expectations too now in the media. Like we're all being pushed heavily on social media. Oh yes. And one of the one of the meetings we had was uh, uh, they want us now on not now for a while now on Facebook to all to do like essays on how we feel about things. Mm-hmm. And the very I the don't very, believe in that. The I really very don't like same that. Day, <laughs> I'm well, not doing you it. You know what, though? I'll, 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 tell, you, I'll tell you a reason why that's a good idea. But the very same day that we were being kind of coached up to try to get more into that uh, here at the station, that same day was that case. Uh, remember the anchor in Pittsburgh, uh, Wendy Bell, who wrote a long Facebook yes. page mm-hmm. that uh, was viewed as racist? And she got fired. And she got fired yeah. right. for how, how she really felt. Now, yeah. unfortunately, how she really felt was pretty came bad. off pretty racist. <laughs> But <laughs> pretty bad. But now the reason for doing that is I think, um, and I was just saying this the other day. I, there are fewer and fewer reasons left for people to watch TV news. Definitely, you can get pretty much everything you need off your smartphone. My own belief is that the only two reasons left to watch Sunrise in the Morning, for instance, is um, Enterprise stories, story investigative or stories that you can't get off your smartphone. But more importantly, the other reason, the people. You like the people. They're interesting. They either make me think, make me laugh, make me cry. The, the people, I, li- I just like that person. Okay, how do you get to like a person through things like re- reading their essays on Facebook yeah, or, or, or hearing fair. them on the radio, That's hearing fair. them on a podcast, right. hearing them outside of the teleprompter? That's true. So I think it is a vehicle. It's a helpful vehicle. It's just dangerous. It is, especially when it comes to sharing personal things and your family. It's it's not that your whole family signed up for this. I, I mean, I'll share a weird story. On Monday, I had an impersonator, someone around town that was saying she was Jobina Fordson <laughs> and calling, calling companies and businesses, really? saying that she was going to expose them on Wave 3 News. That's not what I signed up for. I mean, it's a crazy story that now I'm sure will make a couple people laugh and I can share, but that's just wild. And I, people were calling the station. People were calling the station, like, asking to speak to me with complaints. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. This was on Monday. Crazy stuff oh. happens. You know? So I, I walked that. I have, a I think, a deep-rooted issue with sharing personal beliefs mm-hmm. and sharing my personal life because I just don't know how much I want out there because people are There's psycho. There's like a fear factor involved, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, people are psycho. I, I, um, I, on the positive hand, um, I have found that the, the more I share, the deeper I share about painful things and stuff I've gone through and, and embarrassing, humiliating mm-hmm. things the more people yeah. buy in and then the more they're willing to share with me. Well, that shows That's you're all human. Good. But yeah. in terms of back to our business, <laughs> uh, I mean, you're talking to somebody who I, 
I had my my house graffitied up with death threats. Oh my um, gosh! I had. Uh, was that a result of a story? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which it one? was. Uh, you know what? We're not sure. Um, woke up one morning. My wife and daughter came in the house. It was about ten years ago. C- crying. They were they were heading out to school, and uh, uh, they came in crying. And I, t- you got to see this. And I came out, and the entire garage door and the sidewall were um, uh, graffitied up with spray paint, brown spray paint. I had to repaint everything. Uh, you know, you think you think the death well, Louisville's death toll is high. You wait, and, you know, and oh my gosh! And I was uh, working at WLKY at the time, and they um, uh, they they hired a seventy-two hour round-the-clock police protection in my cul-de-sac. That was wild, like having that. But I got thinking about that, and you know, this is Louisville's not a big community. But no. I'm, I'm not listed with my phone and everything. But all it takes. It's like an Amish community. All it takes is one person saying, hey, walking by going, you know, John Bowl lives there. And yeah. boom, right? Yeah. Right. And so we never were able to figure out, they never made an arrest, never were able to figure out. It, a story had just aired a couple days before that that I don't think was related to that. But then the, the story I did before that was on Louisville's murder rate and on violence and on one of my surveillance things where I'm kept capturing crime oh, and all that. So, maybe so I think it's something yeah. related to that because of the innuendo of the stuff they were writing on the, on the garage. Sure. Wow. Oh, so speaking of putting your life out there, um, <laughs> you did that a little bit. Well, actually, I would say a lot in a book. Yes. What, how did this come about? What made you decide, hey, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to put it all out there. I'm going to take people kind of really what we're doing on this podcast beyond what you see on TV. Yeah, and uh, you talk about some of the stories that change your life. And then you talk about events in your life that, that change, right. including, you know, the book is called On the News, In the News. I was just walking into a 12-step meeting the other day, and a woman was sitting on the curb. She said, John, I just read your book, and it, just, it, was, it was amazing, and I, it really helped me in a lot of ways, and I passed it off to a friend of mine, and I get really nice feedback That's all the time. Awesome. The genesis of the book was about 20 years ago. I just thought we work in such a wild business, like the little anecdotal funny things that happen, like the thing you just shared. <laughs> yeah. Like I thought that would make a good book, and so I met with a publisher, Bill Butler, uh, when he was alive, um, Butler Publishing only, the big local publisher, and I, he, uh, he had me write like three chapters, funny stories, and I came in, and he told me that Louisville's a great local book market. Any coach, player, Fred Wishy, Milton wow. Metz, any of these people that publish a book, the books do better in this region than most regions of the country. So he said, this is a great idea, but he said, you need to, uh, these stories you're telling, like telling funny stories on people in our bit, like mm-hmm. people, coworkers, he's like, you got to put their names in. Because like no one want people want the dirt like yeah. they want to hear a funny story about like Lauren Jones or you know whatever we love yeah. the dirt right but they want <laughs> to know they want to know who they're reading about and I was like dude I can't do that like I can't crush all my coworkers all hate me so that's where the book sat for like fifteen years I didn't want to do that and then um, I'm in rehab going through this two DUIs and discovery realization of alcoholism and life crash fired and the whole bit and. And this is fired I, from WLKY? From WLKY, okay. right. I got, uh, for those who don't know, I got two DUIs in a two-year period. The first one in, in October of, um, of uh, 2008. And uh, I went through all the drug and alcohol assessment process and, and came back. And they determined I was not alcoholic, not alcohol dependent. And so I thought, wow. So I started drinking again. And it, my life spiraled completely out of control. Got another one in 2010. Uh, November 6, 2010, uh, fired. I uh, went off to rehab at Hazelden Clinic up in Minneapolis and just learned a lot about the disease that I had and my character flaws that we talked a little bit about. And 
so I, anyway, I'm up in rehab, and I'm thinking, you know, journalism is like we just talked about is taking people someplace they're not at or, or haven't gone through and trying to relay what it's like, the experience. And what an incredible opportunity I have right now as a person who was on the news reporting on other people's misdeeds to now being on the other side of the fence. Yeah, it's a and great so title. I, I do started, love that title. I started title. taking notes, and, and then the second half of the, the first half of the book is these anecdotal stories of uh, lessons learned on, on different stories I've done in the TV news, and then the second half is, is taking you from rehab and all the way through like what my life was like on the other side. So, Yeah, it's a great read. And you talk a lot about... Um, just some of the feelings. I think people sometimes expect journalists to not r- maybe have maybe be really cold-hearted and not experience emotions and stuff in the field. And you get really descriptive, descriptive with some of the death scenes and you know um, homicides and murders and accidents and you know just how that does make an impact on us. Is yeah. there anything that really stuck with you that changed you and maybe you thought like, okay, maybe this business isn't for me, or it fired you up to? keep telling stories is there any real moment like I've had a couple moments in stories where you're just like oh my gosh like you know like I can't it's do so this hard anymore. to pinpoint yeah one. I can't do this anymore or you're like well there's really two sides sometimes you're like I can't do this anymore it's so terrible and sometimes you're like I have to keep doing this people need to know this is going on um I don't think that's ever happened to me I um the knocking on the doors of victims of terrible things oh in life, gosh yeah. I know personally has driven some of my good friends out of the business for good um, but I relay in the book um, a bad string of opportunities like that, occasions like that. And then I, then I knocked on the door of a guy, a guy named Walt Queen's door. His two daughters uh, were riding together. Uh, and on 65 in Spaghetti Junction, there was this horrible accident where a, a big um, semi-flatbed carrying junk, crushed junk cars, spilled over the median. And, oh, and several people died. It was a horrible, horrible thing. Mm. And his two daughters died instantly. And I had the job, like we all do, of going and trying to talk to him, get a picture, et cetera. And I thought, oh, this is going to be the worst thing ever. And he was wonderful. Mm-hmm. He invited us in. He did an interview. He talked about how awesome his kids were. And then, and then I was inspired by that, the way he treated us. And then after that, um, he came and spoke to my, the Bible study uh, I was at at my church or no, actually, before that, this truck driver who got was facing big-time prison time because he was doing everything wrong, didn't have the restraints correct, et cetera. Guy shows up for a sentencing, and they're going to s- send him away, and Walt stands up and announces to everybody that he, he and his wife have talked about this, they've forgiven him, and they begged the judge not to give him prison time. And oh, the judge wow. on, the, on the spot was, that was story moved. That so good. And the guy was sobbing and left a free man. Wow. I thought, how can you get to that point of forgiveness? And then Walt came to our class, uh, Bible study class, and talked a little bit more about that. And then I did a story on Walt last year where Walt is now a uh, store. He looks like Santa. Santa, right? He's, I thought this was the guy. Yeah, wow. he, he is uh, the, at the uh, Bass Pro Shops, the Santa there. And he goes around speaking sometimes about this. He's the most amazing man, most amazing example. So to answer your question... Like, yeah, I, I, right when I'm on the precipice, usually, of depressing stuff like that, I meet yeah. people incredible like yeah. that mm-hmm. That's that make 10%. me so proud yes. to do what I do and to be able to bring those stories to people. Now, do you think faith has helped you in your career at all? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, one, of the, one of the 
ways I operate in my life is the simple, what would Jesus do? Mm-hmm. And, uh, WWJD, baby. Yeah, yeah. It <laughs> helps. It helps. Uh, no, matter, yeah. no matter what your faith is or what you think, uh, I think it's pretty inarguable uh, the way that Jesus handled a lot of situations. Oh, yeah. And I think that that is just a good model for me. And the other, the other uh, slogan I try to remember all the time in my life is uh, big in recovery is do the next right thing. I just preach, do the next right thing. And people say, well, how do I know what the next right thing is? And I say, others say, you, you usually, sometimes you don't know, but you know what the next wrong thing is. Like You, you know what's wrong. Mm-hmm. So I try to go about my life with those That's two. Well, he just took it to I our know. last question. We usually always ask, what's the quote you live by or want to leave people with? Um, <laughs> uh, do the next right thing is one. Um, live and let live is a big slogan in recovery. First things first. Easy does it. I'm just trying to relax and surrender more and just and just not rant about all the time. You guys, you guys don't even know me. Like I know we don't work on the same schedule, <laughs> yeah. but the way I was ten we years heard ago. It that you have these epic rants. I I used to come in every day, what's your rant of the day? And now people are getting all worked up around me and I'm just like just do the best life. we can. Yeah. yeah. That's just all you can uh, do. first things first, just do the best you can. What do you think is next for you? Will you stay in this business? We, we were talking to Scott Reynolds. He's like, I'm going to die on the anchor desk. You know, like. <laughs> That's what he said, really? Yeah. Do you well, th- I said it first. And yeah. then he was like, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. going to die on the desk. <laughs> yeah, that was Jovina. I'm like, not yeah. going to lie about it. Like, um, uh, I w- would rather sell minnows in a bait shop in northern Wisconsin mm-hmm. than do this. Like, like, I love what I do, but I learned a lesson when I went up. I go up to northern Wisconsin every year uh, to the place where, I, as a boy, we went on vacation, and it's really special. And uh, I was up there one year on vacation in a, in a cabin with a TV that gets, like, one bad station <laughs> staticky with the rabbit ears and no radio and no nothing for the week. Mm-hmm. Um, middle of the week, we went into town shopping, the nearest town, and I grabbed a newspaper. And I opened it up, and it, it hit me like a ton of bricks, like, this stuff doesn't really, really matter in my, like, doesn't, doesn't affect me. And a lot of this doesn't really matter. And it, it sharpened me as a journalist because when I came back home, I realized I needed to make all these stories that I'm telling, I needed to tell the viewer why that's important to mm. them. Like, I need to try to sell it to them or impress upon them why it's important. But um, there's so much to a sunrise, to a mm-hmm. sunset and talking with people and um I'm, i don't know how long i'm gonna do this but i listen i'd be a happy man selling minnows in the bait shop going fishing in my little boat on my little lake would you ever consider getting out of the business and maybe doing your own storytelling you know independent from uh tv i, I never have no okay. um i the one book i wrote was because i was unemployed for a while and i had a story <laughs> to tell and i don't know that i have a second one to tell <laughs> i so think you do I, I don't know about that but we we do get the amazing opportunity to tell little mini stories every day mm-hmm. you know and that's a great thing to do yeah it's fun it's usually fun usually fun usually. sometimes it's <laughs> garbage but yeah. you know <laughs> it, happens. it happens it's life so yeah. tell yeah. people where they can follow you yes. so you're on facebook instagram twitter or wait are you on instagram not on instagram twitter, facebook. Get you an IG. twitter and facebook yeah. instagram and uh <laughs> I, I, and i have a great relationship with people on my facebook page because we share mm-hmm. and uh and the thing about me sharing deep is they share back and then the one thing i try to do though i guess my brand if there's a brand is i try to life is hard man i try to you know i make jokes all mm-hmm. day long we're always cutting up 
try to find the lighter side of life, you know, the funny stuff. That, so that's what we try to do too, especially on Twitter. Yeah, you guys do that a lot on Sunrise. This group in the newsroom, let me just set the scene. They're always laughing about something. They've and got they're their like, little corner, too. Yeah, <laughs> when you see them on TV, they really are that tight-knit team, you know, all friends and just have a great relationship, Did you I see think. T- today, um, you know how we always crush kids because kids will be in the same room not talking but on their phones, mm-hmm. literally yes. conversing with each other on their phones, yes. no verbal. Today, Lauren and I are out there on the set responding to each other's <laughs> tweets no verbal See, talk to each other, a foot away from each other. There you go. Same thing. That's funny. So, are you John Bull on Facebook? Yes. Okay, just John Bull. Uh, yeah. Dash Wave Three News. Uh, yep. No? Yeah. John Bull Wave Three. Okay, and then Twitter. And uh, it's, uh, I think it's at John Bull Wave Three. Yes. Awesome. awesome. Anything else you want to tell people? No, just thank you. I feel honored. To Yay. Be oh, my gosh. Thank oh. you so much. This, this was, was great. Fabulous. I think you Gary should do say. a podcast. We will help you get all the equipment, <laughs> yeah. or you can borrow ours. You can borrow our I'll H6. Get, listen, I'll get fired if I do a podcast. <laughs> I mean, then maybe that's not, you never know. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's I toned it way down for you guys because you're so professional and nice. Oh, thank Shucks. you. Okay, Casey, where can everyone follow you? Yes, yeah, so I'm at Casey News on everything. Okay, and I'm at Jobina Fordson Instagram, Jobina Fordson Twitter, and Jobina Fordson TV yes, on thank Facebook. Thank you guys so much for listening. Yes. Make sure to download and subscribe. We're on iTunes and SoundCloud. Have a great week. Yes, thanks for listening too. Bye. Thanks for having me. Beyond, Beyond TV. TV. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much. Bye bye.